Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello to you. Welcome to the show. 10% discount on your legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. My name's Dan Moylan. Hello. With me, Michael Normanton. Hello. And Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. If you want to bask in the immediate glory of victories like the Leicester game, you can get early access to the match ball with TSB Plus, our subscription package. Included in that is a full digital sub to the magazine that you can read on your phone. And on our website as well, you can read the articles in PDF or web-friendly format. Uh, daily email from Moscow as well. And it's all at thesquareball.net forward slash plus. They say timing is everything. And last week it was bad for us because we decided to record on a Sunday because of the silly football calendar making us play on Tuesday. And then shit happened. We will never disrespect God that way again. Part of Leeds got sold and Frank Lampard got sacked, which I'm sure we will enjoy in due course. But let's do some football, shall we? Because the football's been good to us. The football gods have smiled on us anyway this week in the last seven days. Newcastle victory, which feels, again, like a lifetime ago. Such is the, the thrill of being a Leeds United fan these days with the win against Leicester that we've uh, forgotten that the Newcastle game was in the last week. It's those bizarre ups and downs. The Newcastle game was a must win after we'd lost to Brighton and Crawley and we were potentially going to go down. A week later, we've beaten Leicester and we're going to be in the Europa League. Champions League, I, I heard. It's possible. Anything's possible. We could win it. Although um, Project 538, the people that we've referred to, the statisticians, um, have as a 1% chance of going down, 1% chance of getting in the Champions League and under 1% chance of winning the division. We are bang average when it comes to this division this year, which is a lovely place to be. It's fine, isn't it? That, I did notice... Um, I've always dreamed of being average. <laughs> I did notice some bloke on Twitter who, at the start of the season, it got dug up because he'd said Fulham would finish above Leeds and someone had retweeted it saying, don't you look daft now? And he just dug his heels in and went, no, I think they will still. People would be like, well, what about the table and all the points they need to get? And he was like... What about the merits-based system that suggests that you're not? He was sort of claiming it was some sort of media conspiracy that was keeping Bielsa's leads higher in the table, which may, may true, be true. You don't know, do you? If Newcastle can beat Everton, anything can happen, can't it? Well, Newcastle did show in that second half. They're not as terrible as they pretend to be. Maybe they just need to ignore Steve Bruce's commands and then they'll be... In- prove immeasurably I think they showed in the second half that St Maximan is a good player he is uh, I finished that game thinking why don't they do this all the time because he had Covid no. their, good, their, good, <laughs> their good player was ill so they were terrible mm. and now he's a bit better they're quite good now I was thinking more like along the lines of attacking a bit more can't do it unless that guy's in the team it is all him and I didn't watch them against Everton so I don't know if just running at their centre backs had the same effect on them as it did on us but that's all they really did in the second half was just give him the ball. He ran at us and didn't matter because we won. Do you think the Newcastle game was a nice springboard for the Leicester game? Like we kind of came out of that little bad patch. We had a, a good win, even if it was slightly narrow at Newcastle, but then we went forward into that Leicester game and twatted them. Yes, I think that's what happened. Good. I didn't see it coming, I have to say, the Leicester performance. Because Newcastle, we were good first half. There was no control second half. And it felt like we, it was a necessary win, but one that we, in the end, had to scrape together. Whereas Leicester, just brilliant. But Bielsa's leads, 
shifting the paradigm again. We're, we're rewriting the rules because now we're, we're grinding out wins where we have to. We're not defensively naive. Do, I, mean, I mean, seriously, on that point, doesn't it feel to you a little bit like with that Leicester game, we've finally arrived as a Premier League side? To an extent, I suppose. It, it's felt like we've had a few moments like that this season, though. It felt like the opening day when we beat Liverpool, that was one, and then beating Villa, and then beating Man City at home. All these great victories. We had, we had the draw at Old Trafford. That was another one. Man City was probably the one where it felt like we were going to be okay because by rights, they should have just blown us away. That was what you would expect with the um, two attacking teams and neither of them can defend, but Manchester City have got all their... Well, they've got Kevin De Bruyne, so mm. it'll be fine for them. Just a bit, of analysis, a bit of analysis on Kevin De Bruyne. He's really good. Yeah, he's very that's, good. That's it. That's my analysis. And lots of their players are really good as well. Was um, it De Bruyne who Robbie Brady was saying he just couldn't do anything about? I know it was the Chelsea game, wasn't it, the other day, when um, he, he was basically saying, I can see him, I just can't do anything. <laughs> it does feel like that against Man City sometimes, though, doesn't it? And again, when you play against really good teams like that, with some championship players that we still have, there are games when you just be like, well, they're good, aren't they? Hey, but how good are our championship players? Amazing. Some really good ones, like Luke Ayling. Liam Cooper really stepped up, I thought, against Leicester. And it's a good job, they are amazing, because the rest of them are fucked. <laughs> Stuart Dallas suddenly become the best player in the Premier League. As good as De Bruyne, if not better. He can play in more positions, can't he? You don't see De Bruyne dropping into the defence in the second half of many games. Go right back, Kevin. No. Good to have a Leeds-born player in the team as well. Yeah, serious question, though. You know, if you were to sell Stuart Dallas now, given his age and his form and everything, what do you reckon we'd get for him? A billion pounds? Yeah, probably about that. I mean, the 49ers, how much have they put in recently? A billion pounds? Okay. It'd have to be more than that for Stuart Dallas, I would say. He's one of those players who, weirdly, I don't think we'd actually be able to sell him for that much, but he's so versatile and so important to us. Why would we ever try to sell him? I suppose there is the question and the risk and the thing we never want to know is how much these players depend on Bielsa for how good they are, whether they move to a different club and suddenly they're completely terrible. Or Bielsa leaves us and suddenly they're all completely terrible. But I think there's probably more to them than that. I don't think it is purely Bielsa anymore because they have had to take on board everything and the whole burnout stuff that gets thrown out. There is some truth in Bill Bowell. The players got tired of him. They didn't want to do it anymore. None of the Leeds players are showing any evidence of that. And it almost feels like they're doing it for themselves like sisters. Based on what you said there, Moscow, if they are at other clubs, they're not our problem anymore. Whereas if they are at Leeds and Bielsa leaves and they're not any good, that's then our problem. So by that logic, we should sell them all. It shouldn't be immediately. Radrizzani is talking about the Leicester model and Harry Maguire is the perfect example of that. Brilliant for Leicester. £80 million transfer. Absolutely terrible ever since. Do that again and again. You end up having lots of money to spend on much better players who you can then improve, sell for more, and then they're going to be terrible somewhere else. And that does bode well for um, for us after Bielsa because Leicester have never had a, a Bielsa. Who was it? I mean, they had Craig Shakespeare at one point, And if he can elevate Harry Maguire to the point where he's an £80 million transfer and they still improve that way, then I think there's hope for us when we have Mark Jackson in charge. Just on the Leicester game then, did we get it a little bit wrong about Bamford? No. <laughs> okay. I think maybe we did. He was no, named, we didn't. He was named Man of the Match. No, we were right. And I realised in Among It All that we'd kind of overlooked the fact that he got two assists as well as scored an absolutely <laughs> amazing goal. No, I mean, not, we didn't overlook the two assists. What I meant is in that second half when we were sort of thinking, oh, he's a little bit ineffectual today. He's not quite got his boots on. Then he went up the other end and scored that amazing goal. I'd forgotten that he'd done a really good assist in the first half. 
I think the thing we were struggling with that was the idea that he was going to score because he'd not particularly got into any positions where he looked like he would. And in recent, and he's not scored in a while, has he? It was his first goal in some games. I've not, I've not, I'm not four, something like four. Oh, un- unacceptable. But we've not, in fairness, we don't generally see this performance from Bamford where he doesn't do much and then scores. Like if it was Jermaine Beckford or someone like that, you would be happy with them being on the pitch because you know, well, you kind of have it at the back of your mind that, yeah, but when the chance does come, they will score it. Bamford isn't, hasn't been anyway that type of striker. It's because he's not dangerous, is it? He's not dangerous in the way that he plays. So you don't always perceive him to be a goal threat. And that's to our detriment, not his, by the way, when I'm saying he's not dangerous. He's more of a link-up man. He plays for the team, doesn't he? He does all the running, the closing down, which isn't sexy in the way that, you know, like someone like Eddie Nketiah, for example, you would argue he's more of a centre, an out-and-out centre-forward, but didn't do the work. And also we look at Bamford and it has probably changed that this season because the goal against Leicester, the goals against Villa, he can now score out of nothing, which is, it felt like in the Championship he needed to have it absolutely put on a plate for him. Whereas this year he's just occasionally, I mean, I don't know what the XG was on that chance, but it won't have been many because it was a really tough angle. I was intrigued by the fact that we were sort of underwhelmed by Bamford and then he got the man of the match and so much praise. So I did go and look at the stats and I also listened again to what we said. And we were right because what we said about him was that he kept giving the ball away and um, he didn't seem to be that involved. And his passing was worse than it was at Newcastle statistically. And we tried to find him with more passes, but less of them were successful. So he wasn't being given the ball as much as he was even at Newcastle. So the elements of his performance that we'd been looking at and going like, oh, he's not quite on it. And we specified the one where he tried to control it on his chest and it had rolled into our penalty area. That stuff was happening, like the stats support that we were right about that. What we'd completely missed because I don't know if it's because we're fools or it's harder to see on television, but then everybody else seemed to see it. So maybe it's just us, was that his pressing numbers his average is 15 pressing actions per game at Newcastle he was down to nine so shoddy hold off um and against Leicester I think it was 25 he was much much more involved pressing Leicester's defenders than at Newcastle and you know raw numbers are one thing because the situations are the same did Newcastle's defenders need pressing as much I mean there must have been a reason for Bielsa to to haul him off so I think yeah there's that's probably where he was going wrong at, at Newcastle but the two things that improved from the Newcastle game were his pressing and his defensiveness and what Michael was talking about is finishing and also the assists. He didn't get those opportunities at Newcastle and the difference with Bamford this season is that when those opportunities do come along, either for him to score or for him to set somebody else up, he's doing it. Whereas last season we'd be coming after a game going, oh, you know, all that hard work was great, but when he had a chance at the back post, he put it six yards wide and that's Mm. what was this season. He didn't get a chance at Newcastle and um, in the games where he wasn't scoring, he wasn't really getting chances. He gets a chance against Leicester, bang, it's in the top corner off the bar. And so, and that's where he's improved season on season. But we weren't completely wrong about what we weren't feeling from Bamford's performance at Leicester. We just completely ignored lots of other things. You frightened me a bit there, because what you've done is you've given an opinion and then backed it up with data, which is not usually the way things are done on things like podcasts. Normally, we just it's just we pump out a shit hot take and then move on. Well, I was intrigued because, I mean, I don't really care whether I'm right or wrong about football. It just doesn't matter. But I do get interested when I'm that far out of sync with what everybody else seems to be thinking. So I thought, I'll go and have a look and see if I can get to the bottom of, of this. And that's the conclusion I came to. That, now you're yeah. here to tell everyone else that they're wrong. <laughs> well, no, I mean, they're all right because... They're, and you're right and you're the best. The sides of his game 
that were so much better than Newcastle were there, all the pressing and stuff. But then he was a little bit worse with his his touch, which is, I think, the exact words that came out of our mouths in the match ball was that his um, his touch and passing weren't weren't up to it, and the stats do bear that out. But in the end, it didn't matter because he just you know he, his two assists were <laughs> two marvelous. Passes were great, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the um and we even said that on uh, Sunday as well that it's with a striker you don't need a, a striker necessarily to be. You know, you're not looking to them like Calvin Phillips. You don't need 95% pass completion. You need 100% top corner when the chance comes, and that's exactly what Bamford delivered. But people don't come here for well-thought-out opinions. They come here to laugh at other football fans crying. And it's been quite a rich seam to mine this week because we've had two victories across the last seven days. So to Magpie T- uh, so it was a Magpie Channel TV. Yeah, these are the guys we had before. They were, I mean, Newcastle hadn't scored in about six months had the, ahead of our game against them. And then they did get an equaliser, but then it was over so quickly. And this was, this was how it went down. These are now coming up the other end. Loads of space. How's that much space for him? Ah, fuck off, man. Fucking state of that. Absolute state of that, man. Harrison makes a 2-1 lead. How long did that last for there? That's fucking been a joy we've had for the first time in months. What was that? Why did that look so easy? It was three minutes of fucking joy there for us and we were only drawn. Look at how much space there is, man. I do love a Geordie accent. <laughs> you can't overdo Elvreg how much they say man, can you? I know it's a bit of a Geordie trope. That, All right, man, well, man. Can he pet woman, man? It is, um, <laughs> it is genuine. We've been there, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. I love that. Three minutes of joy. The, the poor people. And... It was intriguing. I mentioned on the Leicester match ball as well that um, Cher had said was picked up by the microphones on Jack Harrison's all the angles, special strike. And he was on the pitch basically saying exactly the same thing as the fans. So they should feel like they have a, a brother in arms playing in the, the old magpie stripes. I'm sure it's fucking hell. This is so fucking shit. This is so cruel, man. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah, that's what we get into this for, isn't it? Really. And you also get to experience a little ping off the post from Jackie there as well. Just... That that and the um, the keeper clearing his boots on the post. Mind you, Casper Schmeichel did that on uh, on Sunday. Last I was. I didn't enjoy it. I was on the verge of getting in a car and driving down there, and I probably would have still had time while he was kicking his boots against the post. It used. I don't know if he's picked that up from Ankergren. Because he used to do that. He used to absolutely drive me spare. The noise of that echoing around an empty Elland Road. Casper just fucking take the goal kick. Now Schmeichel started it. It was the one thing Schmeichel had going for him at least. It was that he didn't use to boot the posts for ages. Now he started it. It's Leicester's problem, I suppose. And in an empty stadium as well. That's what it was with um, Ankergren in League One. Nobody's there and all he can hear is just this clang, 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 clang. I don't know how many feet the fucker had. <laughs> he was doing it one stud at a time. Casper Schmeichel, 34 years old now. Can you believe that? He'll get his move to a big club eventually. I mean, I know he won the Premier League, but it doesn't count. It's only Leicester. And so unless he's won it with um, a big team, it doesn't matter. But one more um, Newcastle clip then before we do move on to Leicester, and it's from True Geordie, who he's not a, a big Steve Bruce fan. Uh, I would love to get um, Chelsea Rory, who appears on this podcast, get his opinion on, uh, on Leeds United. I'm sure it'll change every five minutes to suit whatever particular direction the wind is blowing in that week. The other day he was saying... Uh that Bamford was everything he wants Timo Werner to be was the clip that was... Um, Imagine those words. 
you know, like before we got promoted, those words being uttered. Top scorer in the Bundesliga, but you'd rather he was more like Bamford. God bless him. Right, well, here, let's hear from uh, from True Geordie. This is, the, this is the, the bit where, like, I've called Steve Riss a coward on this show because in, in previous weeks, it, he'll avoid the truth in an interview. He's lying to himself, to the to the fans, going, oh, we, you know, we'll be fine. I'm not one to turn down the challenge. You know, I've seen enough. But, and I said he was a coward for that, but that interview he gave after that last game, he said, I've seen more than enough to be encouraged by it. The whole fan base is watching it going, we are so shit mm. that I haven't seen a single positive tweet in any way, shape or form. I haven't had a conversation of anyone. You know, I've touched with reality, this guy, like, I've never seen a manager's interview be so unreflective of the actual game, mm. maybe in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm actually, I was actually feeling sorry for him. Like, you're actually, <laughs> you're kind of pathetic. Like, you're so, you know, you're so out of your depth and you're so grateful for a Premier League job that you're now literally lying to the cameras mm. and telling everyone, well, I've seen enough to be positive about and I've, I've, there's plenty you know and and when St Maximin ran on the pitch I was encouraged by that like you sound like a dithering or he sounds like he's got dementia or something <laughs> he he sounds like a man who should be put in hospital and we got to look after this guy I mean that's an opinion with a capital O isn't it that one <laughs> I uh, I did tune out near the start when he said he was lying because then I just had a Jimmy Nail yeah. earworm <laughs> for the rest of it but then um, came back in for that strong ending it was very it was very Warnock at Leeds. So the another, description of that. Just Moscow there, another hot, hot pop cultural reference the, there for the kids. The kids are all on YouTube watching Spender. Yeah. <laughs> look, you're just going to have to look at, what is it, Jimmy Nail? She's lying. Yeah, you'll find it. Yeah, you'll yeah. Find. Can't remember the name of the song, but anyway. She's lying. Was it? <laughs> I'm sure it was. No, it's, well, ain't, it might, it's ain't, called Ain't No Doubt. Ain't No Doubt, of course it was. Yeah, because She's Lying is just uh, is the, the hook. The, the line, the, the it, actual yeah. chorus is not as good. Anyway, we were saying about True Geordie, yes. And anyway, they went on to win at Everton. Uh, 2-0 and looked brilliant versus how they looked for the rest of the season. Yeah, so, so. maybe they shouldn't hospitalise their fucking manager. It's one of the, It reaches that point though, doesn't it, with some managers. It's like when we won games under Warnock occasionally, you just think, oh God, it has to go on for another few weeks now. He's bought himself a couple more games probably with a win and it just it just drags on endlessly, doesn't it? I do have a little bit more sympathy for Steve Bruce having that because when he said the other week that some of the uh, the criticism was getting a bit too personal and I was like, oh well, whatever, but you know. It comes with the territory when you're a Premier League manager. Mm, yeah, you might have a point. He's tuning into that. I'm sure you never said anything uh, against Warnock. <laughs> I didn't suggest having him hospitalised against his will. Might work, though. Uh, let's move on to the Leicester game then and Leicester fan TV. Um, some characters involved in this. I mean, they were. I think they were quite confident ahead of this game. I watched a bit of the build-up and stuff and they've been on a really good run, haven't they? And I suppose they had every right to be confident, but this is, the, uh, this is us going into the lead. Leads are through here. Patrick Bamford's going to take a shot and it's a goal. Oh and it's 2 1 to Leeds United. Oh my God. Fuck. Perez, why are you not sliding in for the ball? It was as simple as that. You would have won the ball and they wouldn't have scored. Oh my days. It all comes from Perez, man. He should have been sliding in for that. I'm sorry, but they wouldn't have scored. Look at that. It's just, it's just debated it at the last minute. Good ball in from Rafinha into Bamford and Bamford with an absolutely amazing finish into the top right corner. And that is Leicester 1, Leeds 2. And that, I would imagine... He hasn't scored for games, Ian. I don't think he's scored for about eight games. It's a weird accent, isn't it? I was going to say, yeah, the famous Leicester 
accent there. I started looking for bands from Leicester. There's really only shawaddy waddy of notes. Kasabian? Oh, yeah, they are as well. Prolapse were a great band as well, but their their lead singer was, well, their two lead singers are Scottish. The other lead singer is um main journalist on the Leicester Mercury. How, anyway. how did they um get their name? I mean, I try to think. Oh, in fact, it's on Wikipedia. To indicate something undesirable in a miserable sort of way rather than unsavoury. Unfortunately, we have come to realise that it makes some people think of arses. <laughs> they were a great band, however. Yep. So this is when we went 3-1 up. <laughs> I mean, Leicester's such a non-entity of a, a town, isn't it? When their arses fell out. Madison's going to whip it in. He does. It's not a great free kick. It's actually really quite poor. Mendy's going to try and win it, though. And he hasn't. And now Leeds are on the counter-attack here. Leeds, let Leeds are going to score. Leeds are one-on-one. This is going to be 3-1 to Leeds United. And it is Jack Harrison with the goal. Game over. That is game over. Leicester had so many men up forwards. And that is the end of the game. That is game over. Leicester City won. What a fucking joke. 3-1. What's going on, man? What an absolute piss take. What an absolute piss take. You can't be taking three kicks that poor, James Madison, when you've got no men behind you defending. He has been poor this game with set pieces, and I'm sorry, but he has. He's been very poor, Madison. He should be nowhere near set pieces. God's sake. They've all gone forward and look what happened. Only leave Johnny Evans back. Oh, my God. A couple of things from that. You know the kid in the background? Is he part of the show? <laughs> Just double-checking. I think his microphone's not as good. I, yeah. think, I think he leaves him turned down. He's on Zoom turned down or something, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're so, in separate rooms. What we try and do with Phil Hay when he's remote, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, I love the fact they hate James Madison by the end of this. We'll have him if they want. I'm <laughs> the sure other, we could find room for him. The other thing I enjoyed there was just the start of that clip. They have a full 10 second lead up to realizing that they're going to concede another goal as well, which is great. You don't normally get a full 10 seconds like that. It's like, oh, Leeds are going to score. Leeds are on the break. This is it. It's going to be 3 1. 10 seconds of it. I like the, uh, the never ending misery as well. Just when you think they've stopped, there's that long pause. No, actually, they're still angry. <laughs> I think the replay comes on, doesn't it? And they get. But I mean, his reaction to that, the unfolding of it, was much the same as mine when I was like, where are all their players? <laughs> How have we done this? All of a sudden, we've got, we've got loads of men forward and they've got none. Unlucky Leicester. But yeah, if James Madison, if I mean, we could, could do a straight swap. We've still got Wasim Boy, haven't we? we? managed to hang on to him in the window. Straight swap. If you're bored out of your tiny mind at the minute, well, the Athletic are coming to your rescue with the assistance of Prostate Cancer UK, putting on football quizzes across February and March to find the most knowledgeable Athletic subscriber. Of course, raising money for a very important cause. There's going to be a quiz for every team, which includes Leeds. Phil Hayes is going to be hosting the Leeds one. Uh, a grand final will be put together in March from the winners of each club quiz to find like the champion of champions. And there's a very nice £1,000 up for grabs as well. And The Athletic will match that with a donation to Prostate Cancer UK. Sign up uh, at theathletic.com forward slash the square ball and then you can register to play the quiz. That's theathletic.com forward slash the square ball where you will find the very latest offer. 49ers, let's talk about that. I know it happened last week, but we missed the boat on that because of the recording time. Uh, they now own 37% of Leeds United Football Club, up from their previous 15%. And within that, obviously, we've got the investment fund that they've put together, which involves 
People like Chad Hurley, who we've become, recently become very good friends with, I believe, who is the co-founder of YouTube, is one of the investors there who has uh, shares in the Golden State Warriors and various other sporting interests, including, uh, I think, is it Los Angeles, the football club there? Not Galaxy, it's a different one. Right, yeah. Okay, so... Um, we've been always confused. You've been trying to sneak into the DMs like you did with DePaul? Give it time. Don't want to scare him off yet. Hi, Chad, if you're listening, by the way. New friend. Okay, so what, what's the, uh, the thoughts on this? Good thing? Bad thing? Don't know, really. Probably good. We'll find out, won't we? You never quite know, do you, with takeovers? Unless it's like the Burnley one where you immediately go, God, that sounds terrible. This doesn't sound immediately terrible. That's as positive as I'm willing to be. It it sounds like there's a definite aim at levelling the club up, which has to be a good thing as long as they go about it in the right way. I think that's the thing. When they made the announcement, it's quite a difficult thing to announce because they're sort of saying this is how it's going to be for the next few years. And that immediately has people going, so when do we get a new ground? And they go, well, not a new ground. When do we get the new West Stand? And like, well, we are going to do that, but we can't release any details. What about the training ground? Well, you can't actually do any. Can't we just, can't you just say hello to Parag, who you've already met, and just leave it at that? Because that's basically what they wanted to do. And it's not about sort of what they announced last week, apart from what it excludes, I guess, which it does now mean all the guitar sports investment stuff is out the window, not going to happen, and probably a bit of a relief. Because I think whether this turns out good or bad, it's going to be easier to pass and understand in the sense that although it was a bit of a surprise the day after Marathe and Radrizzani did their first day of kind of, you know, we're going to work together and everything's going to be great for the next few years. Synergies, brand synergies. All that stuff. And then the next day you've suddenly got Chad and Nick and whoever else popping and saying, oh, actually, we're part owners as well. Where do you fit in? And it did raise a few alarm bells I think where you you go back to the the Ken Bates ownership and you looked at the the web of who owned what and there's 5% here there's 10% there we never we still don't know who um, it was Holton Sports and Outram Investments and they were registered all over the place no idea who these were Ken himself didn't know did he and Sean even they didn't know who owned United hard for them to tell us if they don't even know themselves and that's the difference is there's not really anywhere for Chad Hurley to hide he's going to be tweeting constantly about the club and his name is on the financial filings it's still a problem with football regulation in general that if you own a small enough part of a football club you don't have to declare who you are or what you want and that I found a guy called Mark Wan who has not been announced and has not said anything and he was listed as a part owner of Leeds United in a report in December so I assume he was part of the 49ers original investment um, when they first got involved with that first uh, 15%. He's been a fitness medical investor, like they all are a, a venture capitalist, but he also invests in the 49ers. He's a co-owner and the Boston Celtics, which is a rival basketball team to the Golden State Warriors that Chad and Nick Swinman are involved with. And he's in an investment group with Marathe, which is looking to invest in the next um, Peloton. But they haven't found that company yet. And I think that that explains some of what they're all about, that they're all kind of hovering around going like, well, what would be the next cool, fun thing to invest in? And for some of them, it's, oh, well, exercise bikes and other people, football clubs. And Nick Swinman has been part of the ownership at Swansea in the past. And he's part of a, I think it's a Danish football team that he's investing in. And it's obviously, it's all that kind of pools of interest as well. We like sports and we like apps and we like tech and, this all fits together. And and I think with um, Chad Hurley, 
in particular, I think he just likes watching the Premier League on TV and feeling like he's involved. Well, that's that's why I want to speak to him. And now, if you saw the conversation that we had with Chad Hurley on Twitter, it was sort of, a, no, we want to speak to you now before you know too much about Leeds. Because I want to know how we've gone from GFH a few years ago, but then to being on the radar of Silicon Valley. And I mean, there's obviously a, a very clear path via San Francisco and the 49ers, you know, not, not stupid. But just to understand how we've ended up there in that sort of circle of people and how does the co-founder of YouTube suddenly think that investing a bit of money in, in Leeds United, you know, future is a good thing. You know, what? why are we where we are now? It's just, I guess it's just a place a bit more context on our position right now. It weirdly highlights, I think as well, the lack of ambition for so many years at Leeds that all it took was to get in the Premier League and it feels like money has just arrived and people want a bit of us now. Whereas... No one wanted to touch us in League One in the championship, and when we've been in the championship for a decade, it just bloody stuck there because there was no there was no obvious potential there, was there? All of a sudden, we've we've gone up, and it feels like like the stuff they're talking about about doubling revenues and getting into Europe and rebuilding Ellen Road and all this stuff, which sounds brilliant. It was always there for us. It's just that we never had anyone with any ambition to actually unlock any of that. It was always about. The we clout. can shut the East Stand Upper instead. That'll <laughs> save some money. It's like that's, that's not really where the that's not where the money is. Drain the swimming pool at Thorpe Park. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, they can bring sandwiches. What? Fucking hell, you cheap bastards. Yeah, yeah, you can't make something this big. You can't downsize it like that. It needed somebody with clout, is what I was going to say. It's not just the ambition, but the clout as well to say, all right, as Brad Rosani did, I'll accept some losses up to a certain point, but then we need to make it. And now we've made it. We need to stay there. And once we've stayed there, then we kick on into the next big thing. I mean, all the all the stuff with. American ownership is it's always a bit problematic because it's it tends to be American owners who don't like relegation and stuff like that which we consider to be cornerstones of the English game and even though we are now on the right side of that I've no desire to stop promotion and relegation from the Premier League because it'd be awful and make it a dreadful competition if if you were just looking at Sheffield United now and they were going well we'll try again next year there's no danger in going down it'd yeah. be shit I mean and let's face it that's where the jeopardy and the thrill and the danger comes in and where we are now is that it's okay it's a very very outside chance but there is still a chance we could get relegated and that kind of keeps you on your toes, doesn't it? So there's that aspect of American owners which can be a bit problematic. There's the whole commercialisation thing which can be a bit, I don't know, hot dogs in the stand and T-shirt cannons and cheerleaders on the pitch and all the sort of cheesy side of it that you think of. But then essentially we need more money to push on again. And if the option is American owners or uh, despotic states, well, that's it. I, mean, I would I would rather have this money. Yeah, American owners get a lot of flack for not understanding English football, but then there's not really a deep heritage of Qatari involvement in, in the English game that makes me think that they're any more in tune with the average fan than somebody from San Francisco. And the, the criticism that a lot of 49ers fans have about their new stadium seems to be more the corporate end. And I suppose we are then hoping that there will be enough Marathay and his mates will have their ears open enough to listen to what people in Leeds tell them about what the stadium needs and that it won't just be everything that they've learned from San Francisco imported with absolutely no attempt to mould it to what's actually needed in West Yorkshire. Hopefully that will be a two-way thing. But the what you were saying before about it all being there for us says a lot about people and that seems to be what a lot of this rests on. Marathay's story is quite interesting where he's talked about he, he knew Leeds United before because he had that weird involvement with David Haig when David Haig said, GFH of, you know, we've signed a deal with the 49ers. A strategic partnership. And they never really knew what was going on, but the um, 
But he said that he knew about Leeds United because somebody at the 49ers stadium, their grounds person or whoever it was, was wearing a, a, a 1990s Leeds United sweatshirt. And so he's kind of like, oh, that's that club in England that I'm, I'm in, kind of involved in. And then he already separately knew Radrizzani. And so when he's talking to Radrizzani, Radrizzani said, oh, yeah, I've, I've just bought this football club in, in Leeds. He said, Leeds United is, oh, I, I kind of have an interest there. And it built from that. And then the, the option of Qatar also built from Brad Rizzani being mates with their chairman. And then Chad Hurley comes along because he's already investing in the San Francisco 49ers. So he knows Marathi and he says, well, I've got this new thing. And it's all kind of, that network has grown because we've got somebody in Brad Rizzani that people seem willing to actually have a conversation with. Whereas, you know, you met David Hagen, Celine Patel, and they're not people that you really wanted to have to talk to twice. Chilino is a fucking maniac who even non-league managers who were offered the job of their lives went, you know what? I think I'm I'm all right, actually. Um, Crystal Rovers is great. Ken Bates is just absolutely horrendous. To, he was unpleasant to everybody he, he met. That's maybe not everybody. I'm sure it's very nice to his wife, but he's horrible to one of his kids. So, you know, there's an example. They're just not people anybody wanted to, to deal with. Whereas now, Radrizani does have these relationships. He's, he's not a multi- billionaire he's not elon musk or anybody but he's he knows enough people and has a good enough reputation to be able to say oh you know this might be fun you might make some money it fits in with the other stuff that you're doing and there's an element of old school kind of football club ownership in this where the ages of people like chad hurley and uh, nick swinburne are kind of a bit of um a bit of a mirage because i think they're only in the 30s or 40s but they have retired from what they initially launched as multi-billionaires and now need hobbies. And that's essentially what football club ownership used to be, for better or worse, you know, Ken Bates, Doug Ellis. Um, for a good example, Leslie Silver at, at Leeds are people who had successful businesses, money to spare, liked football and wanted to be involved and have some fun with it. And, yeah, Bu- and, build something. Yeah, and build something. And also, I think, you know, the ego part of it shouldn't be lost. I'm sure a big reason Leslie Silver... I mean, Bill Fotherby cursed the fact that his good mate, Leslie Silver, got on the board um, at Leeds before him because the pair of them were constantly like, please, can we part? Please, can we be part of this? Because they wanted that status and they wanted to, they loved the club and it was a, a way of getting in, involved, but it is also, it reflects well on them because you can you can bring people down and say, well, you know, I've got my own fancy suite and if you want to watch a game sometime, I'll sort you out some tickets. All that stuff comes with it. And I think this is kind of a, a modern version of that. It's just that owning a local paint company is no longer enough to buy you a stake of a Premier League club, is it? That's the thing. You do need to you do need to have someone who has got hundreds and millions mm-hmm. and or billions in the bank. To- you, you're right, though. Despite it being Silicon Valley and investment funds and all that kind of jazz, it still feels more authentic. Is that the right word? Wholesome than something like what Abramovich is doing at Chelsea, because what has happened at Chelsea is quite interesting with Frank Lampard because he's kind of hurt one of their darlings. And it's exposed the whole model for what it was. I think they all knew, but they've been forced to confront it now with the sacking of Lampard. It's like, this is always a short-term, quick-fix job. There's never any longevity in it. There's no long-term vision, is it? It's just a constant searching for champions. I mean, and it's, it's you know, born fruit for them to an extent, but it's hard to love something like that, isn't it? Whereas this, if we build it over time, as we're saying with the stadium, replace it a bit at a time when we might grow to love the new stadium, evolve this team, you know, a few players at a time each window and we can say thanks to the likes of Pablo Hernandez who might well move on in the summer. Never. You know? <laughs> but you know, we, we can, and then he can leave with our good wishes rather than 
them you coming can in stay and going, without good wishes. But rather than them coming in and saying, right, well, we'll gut the whole squad and we'll chuck five hundred million pounds at it. It'd probably be fun chucking five hundred million pounds at it, but would you get bored after a while? I don't get the feeling there's the appetite for that yet anyway. Maybe in a two years if we're still mid table, there will be the appetite to say, look, we just need someone to come in and spend and buy three players that are a hundred million pounds each and be really good. But I feel like at the moment Everyone, it's a good time to invest in so far as everyone's quite happy. We've got a really good manager. There's revenues to be grown when we can get back in stadiums and things. It's it's all there for, for an investor at the moment. And I don't think there are many other clubs like you've seen the state Newcastle's in and like Newcastle fans want Ashley out at any cost, basically. They were they were all absolutely gagging to have the Saudis take over, which is far more problematic than a, an American investment group. Like it's there are numerous issues with that, which because they just want something to change, they're willing to just go, okay, fine. In much the same way we were, to an extent, going, well, let's see what GFH do then, because we just wanted rid of Bates. And the thought was, well, even if the next people are terrible, at least it'll be different terrible people, and maybe they won't be quite as hard to shift as Ashley or Bates or someone like that. And we're not there at the moment. We, it is, it's a nice way of hopefully getting a bit more money into the club, pushing us forward for things like the stadium and a bit more investment in transfers and stuff without having to rip it all up and feel like we're starting again. The interesting thing I took from some of what Radrick Zani was saying was about what they plan to do sort of on the office side, that they're, they're currently getting more inquiries than they can deal with. So people are, are coming to the leads and saying, here's a, a business opportunity or a, a sponsorship opportunity, and they don't currently have. They still have essentially a championship set up in the office which means there's nobody there that can deal with this and they don't, they can't respond to some of the opportunities that are getting. And that's why some of what Marathe and Hurley and Co. seem to be bringing is knowledge. I mean, you know, whatever. Contacts as well as knowledge, yeah. yeah. Contacts and just how to, how to run a top-tier football club. If Marathe, because he's gone to vice president, so, and he's talking about he's going to play a much bigger role. If he can, when he can, come in and say, right, this is how we run a, uh, an American yeah. football club. You need to have a department that does this. You need to pay some people director to Director of this, director of that. Yeah. Yep. Get all that in because um, we don't have it. And Radrizani's experience is broadcasting. Kinnear knows what it's like at Arsenal and West Ham, so he can bring that knowledge. Victor Auto, we've assumed, just needs a, you know, a padded room <laughs> in which he can shout and scream. But it's that kind of, they seem on the surface, taking a first glance at them all, like they're more into a really efficient technology-based operation of a company. Have they seen the Leeds United uh, online club shop? Well, I was, you know well what? Exactly. I was just about to say, Christ, that, that's, that's job number one. And Put like somebody a, in, in place to sort that shit out. A really awful. A really brilliant club shop is probably going to make them more excited than signing Messi. It's that kind of thing. Not, you do get a certain status, and particularly it seems to be something that afflicts um, ownerships like Qatar and potentially uh, Saudi ownership of that gone in at Newcastle because a lot of that is about status and it's about making their states look good. It's a it's a pissing contest. Yeah, yeah, and you're dealing with governments and royalty. It's a whole different level of of noise. And a lot of um, what seems to be the case at PSG is just well, we've got Neymar and we've got Mbappe. And we we're going to go and get Buffon for a year, and we'll have Messi's going to come at the end of the season. They're all really famous and you can have your photo taken with them and you can go to Neymar's party and it's all it's all that side of status. Whereas the background to some some of these people is sitting up all night making websites that were then enormously successful and then they go and invest in 
Sport. Leech Tube. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Let's just move on, if we can, to Chelsea quickly um, and talk about Lampard, which is not strictly Leeds-related news. He made it Leeds-related, though, didn't he? Yeah, well, he I suppose did. we yeah. did by going well. spying on his... It's, it's fun to have beef with people because everybody who goes, oh, you're still going on about this. Well, uh, living rent-free, move on from it. It's so embarrassing. It's like, no, this is what football's about. It's about beef with other clubs and other fans because otherwise, what's the point? It is, isn't it? Come on. Port Vale still can fuck themselves for what they did to Leeds City in 1919. I thought that's, you were going to say for having Danny Pugh as their manager. Well, I mean, that's the price that they're currently having to pay, isn't it? Um, with uh, you know who's in his backroom staff while Danny Pugh was uh, he's been ill with COVID hopefully recovering because I don't wish him that, <laughs> that much ill but um, you know he was uh, stepped up to, to take temporary charge Sean Gregan nope better or worse than Sean Gregan I mean it's all relative Billy Painter anyway amazing wow but wow. yeah I mean if I can hold a, a grudge against Port Vale for longer than I've been alive Bayern Munich too then I can laugh at Frank Lampard Jr yeah absolutely uh, and we should particularly when you've got such media and fan-led media saturation, such as that Rory child that we, um, that we mentioned before, uh, who's uh, known as Chelsea Rory, who seems to have opinions that flip-flop a lot, and a lot of it is whichever way the wind's blowing. He goes on YouTube and cries a bit. Yeah, he was in his kitchen looking like he'd just been at the end of a very messy breakup on this. He was in a, but like he maybe not had a shower for a few days, still all, all tearful, just eating slightly mouldy cheese out of the fridge and stuff. But he, was, he was the human embodiment of, uh, you know, the streets, dry your eyes, mate, that song. I mean, this clip of him, it's, again, it's a capital O opinion, isn't it? Everybody involved in this decision should really hang their head in shame. They've done it in the most slippery way possible. They have done it knowing full well that the Chelsea support would be irate and livid with this. And they can't allow that situation to happen. So they've done it during the lockdown. They know full well that Frank Lampard has the unilateral, partisan and aggressive support of everybody who would be in Stamford Bridge. They know that. 
And they have therefore acted swiftly to try and get around having to deal with that issue. They were scarred by what happened when Rafael Benitez came in. They were scarred by the footage from Griffin Park. They were scarred by the, his first game against Manchester City when he was booed onto the pitch. And they know that if they were to sack Frank Lampard, that the support in the ground would be unforgiving. So they have done it in the most appalling, slippery and sneaky way possible. Have I got this wrong or have Chelsea got a full stadium for their next home game? Because the way they've, they've snuck it in during a lockdown, which has been in place for getting on for a year now, not really snuck in, has it? And it's probably going to be in place until the end of the season. And I would go as far as to say that the Chelsea hierarchy don't give a shit and they would have done it anyway. I was going to say his words, unilateral, partisan, aggressive support. I started wondering if I'm listening to something from the Northern Irish peace process. Right? They don't know who they're messing with. They, they've don't not, do the accent. <laughs> they've not paid attention to any of the kneecappings that we did at Brentford. It just the um, the lack of proportion and Benitez was fine. They won the Europa League. What's the problem? It's if I'm Chelsea owner, I'm thinking about their reaction to Benitez getting the job, and I'm thinking, well, you were fucking wrong. <laughs> so I'm going to do it again. I think I was right to hire Benitez. And not, let's not forget when Sarri was sacked uh, with a better record than Frank Lampard. We should say he was basically cheered out of the building, and I think. Rory was pictured, wasn't he? He was on Snapchat. There was a caption on the photo. I don't know if it was his photo. We'd have to go and definitely check, but it said foreigners out. I mean, the thing with Lampard is that they're so devoted to him because he's their top goal scorer of all time. But I think that just says how shit Chelsea are. Why isn't their top goal scorer of all time a striker? Why is it a fucking average midfielder? <laughs> I mean, if Because is- all the strikers, and they've had good strikers, but they've hated it there. So they've not stayed long enough to score them with goals. Didier Drogba played in the same team as Frank Lampard but he's not their all-time greatest goal scorer because he left. Frank Lampard just fucking hang around the place like a bad smell, scoring lots of goals season after season. If there was anything about him, he would have gone. Before we move on, can we marvel, please, at some of the logical gymnastics uh, that the blue tick um, journalists, some of them anyway, who are perhaps in Frank's contact book, shall we say, um, that they've done, you know, to sort of justify his sacking or what's wrong with it or excuse it, say that he's, you know, been, like, for example, Matt Law is the one that we always laugh at. Well, he's he's the one who initially said that Lampard should have been on the shortlist for coach of the year, wasn't he? Yeah, having yeah, yeah. finished. He's um, a Villa fan, by the way, but but obviously friends with Frank. Having finished fourth and not won anything, which is basically what happens every year to Chelsea as a minimum. I don't know why he thought that then. And then he seems massively confused now by the fact they've sacked him. And one of his, I enjoyed one of his things he said was um, Abramovich was influenced by the statistics as if the statistics that show Frank Lampard gets not as many points as every other Chelsea manager is an unfair statistic. He Should he have ignored the lack of points? Yes. And should he have just gone with romance? Yes, he should have looked at Frank's lovely face, his appearances on an ITV quiz show, and gone on that because he did some good work on, I can't remember what it's called now, Play to the Whistle, something like that. I mean, Henry Winter, who's very, very sympathetic towards Leeds, we like Henry Winter and his romantic view of the football world, but to suggest that Frank Lampard deserves more respect. He deserves less respect. Yeah. You you earn respect. Then this is the whole problem with Lampard is that a lot of what people were projecting onto him and what he projects outwards as well is a demand for respect that hasn't been earned. It's maybe been earned as a player. Yeah, completely. But, but that doesn't make you a good manager. And I don't know if you know, unless you're a player manager, they are two separate jobs. If Frank Lampard was to 
you know, start working as a surgeon and start killing all his patients? Would it be Frank Lampard deserves more? Did you see how many goals he scored for Chelsea? He's got he's got eighty England caps or whatever. <laughs> Give him a chance. His shipment for England. It's absolutely not fair that you're criticising him for this. It's like not the same job. The respect cannot carry from one to the other. He he didn't earn his chance at Chelsea. He was he managed to not get Derby promoted in the same way as Steve McLaren and Gary Rowett and I don't know probably every single Derby manager of the last decade has has failed to do. Yeah, with with resources that shall we say perhaps weren't fair in relation to the rest of the division. Yeah, I mean he had Mason Mount is now an England player and a, a top Premier League midfielder. He had him in the Championship and still couldn't get him up. Tamori as well. Yeah, the, AC Milan's surprising that he managed to get all these players from Chelsea, isn't it, to to boost his despite having little team. a massive leg up, he was unable to progress at Derby or at Chelsea. But I went and I went on that Chelsea podcast. Remember at the start of the year, and it was uh, American as well, just to tie those particular threads together. And I made this point: he's going to be under massive pressure this year. And I won't be surprised to see him sacked, and they refuse to see it, which is great. Well, it's a shame anyway. <laughs> I'm still stuck on the uh, the romantic aspect of this because I can think of nobody less romantic than Frank fucking Lampard. Imagine that face lit by candlelight <laughs> fucking droning on at you about how many goals he scored for Chelsea. Oh, and that, that one in uh, the Euros, it was over the line. It's funny because his, uh, his uncle Harry looks like a melted candle. <laughs> um, good on Gary Neville again. I hate the fact that Gary Neville's got so many sensible opinions these days. It's quite hard to... Um, to get on board the uh, the Neville hype train, but he's yeah. he's absolutely correct when he was speaking on his podcast, saying like you know it's how can he be shocked when he had a hand in the sacking of Villas Boas? Yeah, but the players weren't happy then, so are you surprised that the players? And we're getting lots of stories now of players saying, well, tactically, he didn't have a clue. Yeah, Gary Neville saying, I remember Chelsea players at the time ringing up members of the media trying to get him out, and Lampard was one of them. And Lampard was one yeah. of the people doing that. It's so... all it's the same as the Mourinho in a laundry basket thing when we were talking about mm. you know the spying the, yeah. the, the code. With Neville, it's real enemy of my enemy is my friend stuff, isn't it? He keeps um, aligning himself with us, but you've always got to remember he is Gary Neville. You can't trust him. Scumbastard. Um, Pablo Hernandez is not a scumbastard, though, is he? We love Pablo Hernandez dearly. But looks like his time at Leeds is coming to an end, um, if we are to believe. Uh, well, first of all, his wife's. Uh, was it a, a thinly veiled, not cry for help, because that makes it sound like Pablo's keeping a hostage. She posted a picture of Castellan, which is obviously the club that he owns. It's the region where they're from and they will be going back there. It's their intention. It always has been to go back there when uh, when Pablo's coming towards the end of his career. Uh, it looks like there were moves made by Castellan to bring him back in this window, but Leeds have said no. And his wife on the morning of the transfer deadline day posted a picture of Castellan, which if you had to you know, read between the, the, the very... The, thin, owner, the owners sc- of them need to fuck off. Uh, <laughs> which Pablo does part own, yes. <laughs> this is a little bit like on... Um our championship manager game when uh, we tried to sign Gary McAllister from Gary McAllister's Blackpool and he agreed to sell himself. <laughs> sell himself he turned down the personal terms, didn't he? <laughs> Said he wasn't interested having accepted the offer. Yeah, I mean... To be on the, just on the Instagram balance thing, Pablo himself did post a nice picture of his uh, back garden in the snow this morning. It's Tuesday today when mm-hmm. all the snow has fallen. So um, he seems happy enough. Maybe just what we need if, for a new, uh, a new pitch. That, by the way, a new three hundred thousand pound pitch. Maybe if Maria wants to go and play for Castellon, she can. Should we get Pablo divorce? Is that what we're saying? But seriously, though, my long run-up question was going to be: Are we fine to let him go in the summer? Not until we've seen him again. That's all. That's my main concern. But, but which about, is entirely for my own benefit. It's to sentimental be reasons, isn't it? Football. Yeah. Football's an unforgiving business like that. In that we enjoy it because it provides moments in time and. 
we don't want him to just sort of slip away gently into the night, do we? We want we want that big send off and the big fanfare, and it's the way that we need Bielsa to go when he eventually goes by a massive party, and we all cry, and we all you know we eventually get over it if we do. But same with Pablo. But Pablo is going to be encapsulated in the memory of that Swansea goal, isn't he? Regardless of how he leaves and when he leaves, he's painted up the side of the Duck and Drake, so we can't go. I think he might be going though, Moscow. That's the problem. He can't. I want Pablo to be happy as well. If he wants to go back there at the end of the season, then we've shown this year we've essentially done it all without him, haven't we? He's barely played. It feels like the club has grown around him. We're not outgrown him, but we've kind of become bigger around him and that we're less reliant on him. Rafinha and Rodrigo are doing bits of Pablo stuff. They're both dead. Well, that is true. But he was essentially the only person who was making, like the pass through to Bamford. If that had happened in the Championship, it would have been Pablo doing that pass because he was. Leicester's uh, second goal at Leicester, you mean? What did I say? Well, you didn't. You just said the pass through to Bamford. I was just clarifying. <laughs> oh, okay, which yeah. One. Yeah, that, that sort of first time ball, though, just seeing things, seeing opportunities and, and playing him through to people like Bamford. It, we do now have other people who can do that. It doesn't take a single thing away from the fact Pablo did that for us before and did it brilliantly and was a huge part of us going up. And I think if he does leave before we get to see him again, this is maybe overly romantic, but I would like to see him come back and play a friendly or something. If he came back with Castell and played a pre-season friendly at Leeds, it'd be a nice way for us all to, a, a kind of a half testimonial almost. I feel like he's earned that level of respect due mm. to due to what he did for us last year. Best, si- or best signing in the last 20 years, you could argue. We still need something like that, I feel. I know it probably couldn't happen because other clubs would laugh at us, but when it's safe, I still think we should do a open top bus around Leeds with the championship trophy even if and somebody Barry else Douglas. even yeah getting back even yeah, if, ben, um, get Ben White up that really piss off Brighton which would be great even if somebody else has won it in the meantime we just have it for the day and just because it couldn't happen at the time just do it have a party and I know everyone else will be like oh that's tin pot why, why are you doing that uh, Leeds are fucking ridiculous don't care because it would be fucking brilliant and nobody else would know what it would be like. Or even if it was Ellen Road and it wasn't, I'll drive a bus around Ellen Road, that'll help the pitch. A friendly might be the way to do it um, or an old school kind of testimonial that you should be able to have to to salute players like this that, you know, players don't stay 10 years at a club um, anymore. I'm sure Frank Lampard probably got a testimonial off Chelsea, didn't he? Probably the day he signed. It's not enough money. But something that? like that. that give me more. Would be nice because it is a shame for everybody that it didn't... Um, that it didn't happen but yeah get them all because you can get players back together you do like a a five-year anniversary or a 10-year whatever to do the 13-month anniversary or the first day that it's safe have a dinner invite him over put some tapas on get him out on the field i'm aware as well we still have the booze baton trip to make to munich but a big leads a big leads away trip to a, to a Castellon game with Pablo Hernandez playing would be glorious. Oh, shall we, shall we do that? We should do it. If we could get like a, a thousand Leeds fans over to to there. I mean, Christ knows what would become of the town. It'd be like, <laughs> it'd end up being Bournemouth 2.0, wouldn't it? But we could make, try and just tell everyone to keep a lid on it. Don't smash anything up. Please. It's a really nice little town. Just just be be good to it. But I'd look, I'd look at the stadium. It's quite a nice little ground and everything. It'd be, be good. There's Valencia on, on the doorstep. We could go back and relive some Champions League memories and things. It'd be... It'd be a good trip, so let's do that there is a, in two a, years. I mean, Pablo Hernandez, for romance, he does have a face that, you know, deserves soft lighting. And it's kind of nice that for all the praise of Rafinha and his his pass to Bamford, the, the finish from Bamford was exceptional, but I watched that pass again. He doesn't even move his body. It's just all just the foot. To play that pass the way he did first time was incredible. 
but we've not forgotten about Pablo Hernandez. It's not one of these, well, I've just got somebody better now, so he's in the bin. It's still kind of, oh, could we maybe just play Pablo? You want us to get to safety this season and maybe guarantee our finishing position so we're not going to lose money on the final placings. And then it is get Pablo in the team, get Berardi back in. Who else? Get Ben White back for a bit. Just borrow him for a bit. Football is about sentiment though, isn't it? I think it's maybe what we, I mean, I was young at the time, so it was possibly fairer to do this, but part of what we lost in the runs of the Champions League was that we got rid of players like Molinar and Weatherall and Haaland. And it was like, well, got something better now. Peter Ridsdale himself was the problem with that. Yeah. Famously, on when reflection, we signed, I regret that. When we signed Seth Johnson and it, the words came out of his mouth, we've moved on from the David Weatherall's and the Rob Molinar's mm. of this world. And Dave Weatherall and Rob Molinar both doing perfectly well at Bradford. Um, Molinar spoke up and said, do you want to, do you want to come and say that to my face? <laughs> I think it was, was not far away from what he was saying. And all, it was one of the big moments as well when Leeds fans looked at Ridsdale and went, you're not well. There's something wrong with you. Uh, it's all beginning to add to, up. To be, just, you just don't get it. Being personally disparaging about people like that, that's why it's part of the reason why now, because Bamford has earned his place in our folklore, this this team will be remembered, not this one, the promotion team will be remembered in the same way that the 89-90 team were. You know, in 20 years' time, we'll still be talking about them, about how well they did. And they've all earned their their place in our folklore. And that's why I want to be kind to Bamford, even when he's not doing good stuff. And, and it's, it's, a, not, it's not a big conspiracy against him or anything. You know? And it's a Leeds thing. Don Reavy always said whenever the uh, Leeds won anything, he would go around and he'd pay all the laundry staff and all the women in the kitchens who were working there. And he'd give them all a bonus because they had all helped. And he always made sure that the backroom staff were praised. And when we won in 92, Howard Wilkinson said that all the players who had played since 1988, since he arrived at the club, he said he wished he could have them all back and give them all a medal because every single one of them who helped along the way earned it. It's why Dylan Kerr was on the pitch despite not playing a single minute in the championship season. He got to lift the trophy because he'd been to every game. He was always on the bus. He was always a 13th man. And it was the same with Molinar and Weatherall. If we'd not had them in the team for five years, we wouldn't have been able to sign Seth Johnson when Ridsdale came along. And it's the same now. We wouldn't have been here without Pablo. Kimar Rufin back. He and can come back. Pontus can come back because there'll be enough water under the bridge by that point. They still won't be up because they can't get up. And we'll just have a nice big party at Ellen Road. Cast the long come over. We have a jolly nice time. There are so many problematic things with, with the lockdown. And it's it's. I was thinking the other day about how we deal with going back to the stadium for the first time because we've still not had a proper remembrance of Norman Hunter and Jack Charlton and Trevor Cherry. And there's there's so much we need to do. And saying goodbye to Pablo is just essentially added to that list if he goes at the end of this season. Under thankfully less trying circumstances, but I know what you were getting at there, Michael. Yeah, yeah, we've not been able to do any of the normal stuff that yeah. we should be able to do, have we? That's it's, the thing. It's going to be quite emotive, actually. It's going to be an emotional day when we um, when we finally get back in the stadium because it's been what a year since we've been there or thereabouts, and it's going to be longer than that by the time we finally get back in. And I feel just, like people will just be in there for about three hours before kickoff, just having a look at it, just checking it's all all right, still, just saying hello to an old friend. <laughs> Two games across the next few days. Then these midweek fixtures coming around thick and fast. Maybe we should use some of our squad. Maybe we should use Wazim Boy. Uh, we can't use J. Roy Grot because he's gone. Shaughnessy as well. He's not going to be playing against Everton, is he? Which seems like a bit of a shame. Where have they been, these men? Well, Shaughnessy was in the under-18s. He was consigned. And J. Roy was training with Den Haag, which is why it's a bit of a surprise he's ended up in Osnabrück because he has always seemed happiest in the period busy and he was doing some training there with Dario Del Fabro. Wow. And also Den Haag's manager is called Rude Brood. 
That's amazing. So it's worth. It's not quite Jizz Horn Camp levels, but you know, it's good. Um, and it's it's two different spawns as well. It's rude as in Hullets, but then brood is double O. So it's, you get the both. But there's nobody at Osnabrück. I don't know why he's gone there. But um, he, he just seems happier being closer to home, doesn't he? When you well, he was in Holland and now he's in Germany. I know, but <laughs> he's fucked it up again. It's a bit <laughs> fucking idiot. It's still close. It just felt like he can drive home yeah, from there. It just felt like it was too much of a, a culture shock for him coming at the age that he did. He wasn't ready to leave home yet, and for whatever reason, you sometimes just have to accept that these things are never going to come good and, and that the opportunity is passed, really, I think, and he's just about moving on in, a, in another direction. I do wonder, when we spoke to Angus Kinnear, Moscow, at the start of the Christiansen season, when we just signed J. Roy Grock, we were talking to him about transfers, and one of the things he said in it was um, to look at what J. Roy Grock becomes in five years' time, so we, sh- we should really hold him to that. Th- but there was part of me still thought, he's probably got a bit of potential, this kid. He's still very young. Yeah, you saw the like the videos and thought he looks quick and powerful and he could make a good forward, but you wonder if maybe, again, you don't want to, again, I'm trying to be sympathetic to a, a car, you know a kid who had difficulties when moving away from home, but you wonder if he had that single-mindedness and that complete desire to, to make it to the top. And, and Bielsa's touched on that, actually, hasn't he, this week, about players who've got that that thing and it's that desire to win. The club has moved on as well. I mean, we signed him when we were trying to get out of the championship. We're now trying to get into the top half of the Premier League, essentially, aren't we? And it's different requirements. When you looked at, at him and all his stats and everything about him as a, a youth player before he came to Leeds, it made sense, like worth a punt and wasn't costing the earth. He was a bit different because we had, there was the game at Aston Villa under Hackingbottom when he came on and Pierre-Michel Le Saga was an absolute joke. And you could just kind of tell it was... I think he got a lot of flack for that, but he was slow and disinterested in a very different way to Pierre-Michel Lasaga. With Lasaga, it felt like um, you're being given a, a second chance here and you're throwing it away. With J. Roy Grot, it looked like his first chance had come too soon. There was no, he shouldn't have been playing in the, the championship at, at this point under the amount of pressure that he was being put under. It was obviously not going to work for him and he obviously was out of his depth and did fine on loan last season. I can't, he was at Viva Venlo, wasn't he, with, in the Eredivisie and was perfectly respectable and I think, you know, he can play football and he can have a decent career. The German second division is not nothing and hopefully, you know, if Osnabrück is going to be the place for him, all the best to him. Kind of shocked to see though. My God. <laughs> <laughs> Abs- well, he's ruined, absolutely taken this club to, no, it's just another one he we, signed him for free. Probably wasn't good enough. Filled a gap in the under-23s for a while. Filled it. Did he he played in the first team, yeah, didn't he? I think it, games. it was 800 days ago, I think, was the, the start I saw. Anyhow, you, you try, Meh. sometimes it doesn't work Meh. out. Yeah. Meh. Well, next year we'll be a club of Rodrigo de Paul because as Andy Brassel said on TalkSport, and Andy Brassel is a South American football expert, said that he's fairly certain Rodrigo de Paul will be coming to Leeds. So he'll be lining up against Everton next year, as will Romain Perrode, who Phil reckons we are in for as a left-back, who looks good on YouTube. He's at Brest at the minute. Uh, he's just signed a new deal there, but it's um, a contract till 2025, but it's one of those to preserve his value rather than because I think he's going to be staying. It might have a release clause in it or something. You never know. Sometimes occasionally signing a new contract makes a player slightly more likely to leave, doesn't it? Because there's a, a bit of a, a bit of a, something in it for both sides. A bit like Michael Brown when he signed that. Like, yes, that there's contract. something in it for a couple of people uh, on that one. Let's, uh, him and his agent, let's Probably, yes. talk about Everton because that's what this bit's about. Uh, we've got Everton and we've got uh, Palace at the weekend. Isn't it good that we can just dismiss the uh, transfer deadline day like that now? 
Yeah, matter, does it? I didn't even pay any heed to it. Normally, I, I at least keep half an eye on the transfer deadline on transfer deadline day because you think something's going to happen. Never felt like anything was going to happen. Uh, did nothing it? Ha- nothing mm-hmm. happened at all, did it? Anywhere. And what was the biggest? I think Big Sam managed to get a couple of fucking car horses in, didn't it? West Brom, and that was about the size of it. Liverpool signing a defender from Preston. Yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? Mm. That had weird gravis into Real Madrid kind it of vibes about Paul it. Paul Huntington must be what, cursing his luck, what, what could have been. Uh, Everton, they lost 2-0 to Newcastle, as we mentioned earlier on, and therefore, are the wheels coming off at Everton? Are they naive? Do they need to change their style? Are we going to beat them? I mean, you'd let them off with 1-0, but 2-0 is actually a totally fucking disgrace, isn't it? Yeah. I don't care how good St. Maximin is. I assume he played if Newcastle won. Ancelotti should auction his medals off or something. Because everything, he, everything he's won, he's clearly done it without any input. It's just, just the players. Time, next time, there's one of those lovely videos of Ancelotti, as there often is, of him phoning up uh, <laughs> an Everton fan who's in... Uh, I hope he's ringing back to apologise this yeah, week. Exactly. Or they're just like, not speaking to him, actually. <laughs> he's done enough to ruin my week. Back off. We've um, we've obviously got injuries to contend with this week. Rodrigo's going to be out. Rafinha might make it by the looks of it. Hopefully, fingers crossed. For Everton, the little uh, the T-Rex in goal, he's out, isn't he? Is it Alan who's injured as well? Was he quite good, Alan? In the- Alan was good in the first game, yeah. So that's right. So we just need to injure Calvert-Lewin and Rodriguez early on. Plain sailing. I'm guessing Tyler Roberts is going to play in this because he was withdrawn after about half an hour of the under-23s right. and didn't appear to be injured. It seemed like a planned substitution. So I guess he is going to come in for Rodrigo. Interesting. Would you not put Click back in? I, don't know. I mean, he still might, but it just made me wonder if the fact that he came off after half an hour without mm. anything wrong with him did make me think if he was going to if he was going to drop him in we, we looked a bit more solid through midfield with Click on even though I mean, Click wasn't pulling up any trees as we said on the match ball what do you reckon Moscow we're going to beat Everton just to um, I know this isn't about Newcastle but just to prove a point it was nil-nil when they brought on Alan St Maximan six minutes later one-nil and then they added another in stoppage time absolute one-man team <laughs> um, are we going to beat Everton yeah Fab Delph can't cope he can come back and gaze at the East Stand, can't he? Well, yeah, we, he can come back when we're celebrating all our favourites from the the last decade. Do we win this one? I, I've, is it too much to ask for three wins on the bounce? It's a bit greedy, but I take it. Well, let's put it another way then. Given where we are in terms of points in the table, would you be happy with four points out of these two games? I think that'd be a great return. Over four games, you know, three wins out of four. We'll still be 12, though, won't we? Yeah, forever. I think we were, we were kind of coming round to the idea that if we beat uh, Newcastle then Leicester and Everton just kind of doesn't matter now we've beaten Leicester so we've got more than we expected I want more yes than That's how it works than we it? ever even yeah. expected and I mean Everton have got nothing really I've had enough <laughs> of Newcastle now uh, we, they don't even have any weaknesses their weaknesses according to whoscored.com are avoiding fouling in dangerous areas and that's it strengths is finishing scoring chances so that's Calvert-Lewin and then aerial duels. That's probably him as well. They have a style of play. They attack through the middle, which is, I mean, it's where the goal is, so it's pretty fucking obvious. Rotate their first 11, which isn't a style, and they play in their own half, which isn't where our goal is. So Ancelotti really, he doesn't know what he's doing, does he? I was encouraged by the lack of tracking from James Rodriguez. It gave um, Calvin the, uh, the run of Goodison, and I hope that happens again at Ellen Road. It will be interesting to see how the pitch holds up given that it's had a load of snow dumped on it the day before its big debut they're probably planning in we'll just Tuesday we'll just do the last bits last bits to make sure it's right three, you're not gonna, you're, three inches of snow you will not see it <laughs> until then, kick off which have probably in the last since we've been recording this have turned into gallons and gallons of water <laughs> where does it go 
Don't know. Well, put it down the well. It's put not it down like the, the well. drainage is uh, is a problem. And uh, we have been unlucky with the pitch. It has. It feels like for every home game, it has absolutely pissed it down. There's been a monumental weather event like 48 <laughs> hours before every home game, hasn't there? And then with the new pitch has had a load of snow on it for for the last day. So we'll see, won't we? And if uh, I mean we've only just bought it, so presumably there's some sort of warranty on it. Send it back. It's too wet. This. Hey Tottenham, <laughs> we got this. It's too wet. Can we? Um... It's a wet ass pitch. Looking ahead to the weekend in Crystal Palace. We owe them one. Uh, that game could have gone differently had uh, Bamford shaved his armpits. There are echoes of the Leicester game, obviously, because those games came sort of back to back earlier in the season. But, but they're not any good. Yeah, but Leicester I, I was just going to say, but the fact that they beat us and, and is an opportunity now to set the record straight, and now we've beaten Leicester, we know we can do it. Looking at their results since beating us, you can see where Crystal Palace always finish where they do because they've beaten Sheffield United, West Brom, and Wolves. The shit, the shit aren't they? The shit. So they just. There's nothing exciting about them, is there? It just feels like they'll win just enough games against the bad teams to just about stay up, and mm. then they'll do the same next year, and they'll reshuffle some players, and it'll be more or less the well, same Well, they're result. in that subset of clubs who just do this, who are not very good. Okay, they beat us, so you know we have to hold our hands up and say that. They uh, did a bit of a job on us earlier in the season, but like Newcastle, who are not, they're not really trying. Uh, Which isn't to say they don't have some good players. Because they think, do, don't they? Because yeah. Zaha's really good, I think. Ezzy. Ezzy, that's the other name I was trying to think of. Yeah, like they do have some good creative players. Townsend on his day can be quite good. You know, they're not. But they're not an exceptional side, is what we're saying. No, they're know. not. They're not lacking talent. It's just they feel a bit. If, if, looking at the results, it just seems they never are going to have any aim to ever beat anyone better than them. Imagine playing for Crystal Palace in an empty Selhurst Park. Could you be asked? <laughs> I mean, they, it doesn't look like they can be. Their weaknesses from WhoScored.com: keeping possession of the ball. So it sounds like they're just a oh, fucking. You have it. Can't be bothered. Um, fouling in dangerous areas of the week. Very weak. Defending set pieces. Defending counter attacks. The sound of um, Jackie Harris hands together. And defending against long shots. Ready so, for click. Yeah, hopefully he'll be having a few dips. Their strengths are attacking the wings and stealing the ball from the opposition. But combined with their weaknesses, sounds like they just give it straight back. So you don't need to worry about that. <laughs> their style of play. Attack down the left. Luke Ayling, back in his neutral position, will take care of that. In their own half. Oh. So, um, it'll be... Uh, we, we live in their half anyway, don't we? In their style of play, opponents play aggressively against them. That is Zaha going down and moaning like fuck every yeah. time anyone goes near him. You just get wound up. Yeah, we'll, up we'll say them. this. Doesn't it feel like this game is dependent on us turning up, whereas we were a bit subpar at Selhurst Park, a couple of things went against us, and it all just collapsed from there, whereas I think we're made of sterner stuff than that. We're capable of, um, of upping things, I think, given that we're on a good run at the minute. Maybe we should be able to win this game. Because we probably won't. Yeah, it feels very feasible to be Everton and be on an absolutely massive high and then <laughs> lose to Palace for no reason. Like, other, it's other, fine. Other than we're just on a good run. Yeah, we'll be fine. We'll probably play really well, but we'll lose 4-1 again. And it'll just be, well, welcome to Leeds. What's wrong with the Premier League? We're back in action with that shit show. And uh, we're here to fix it. We've made it better already, haven't we? Miles better as a product with us, isn't it? Because we're entertaining. The rest of it, shambles. So let's accelerate them on this plan to fix this uh, this crappy division of theirs with uh, telling them what is wrong with the Premier League and what is wrong with the Premier League this week. Well, Moscow mentioned it. We're 12th. Always 12th. Perpetually stuck in 12th. Lose to Spurs, 12th. Lose to Brighton, 12th. Beat Newcastle, 12th. It's the new 15th, isn't it? Beat Leicester, 12th. Beating Leicester, we should have playground rules. We should have gone into the top four on that because we're better than them. Pathetic. <laughs> it just goes to show how shit the product is. This is what we're saying. Stupid so. division. Split the division. You know, like in some leagues where they split the league halfway through. Mm. Do that, but put us in the top half. 
Is that how you fix it? Yeah, let the rest of them battle it out. And even if we get fewer points than the team in 12th, we should still not be 12th. And we'd get more merit payments, so that'd be fine. I do worry sometimes if I'm inattentive when it comes to what's happening in the football world, but by my lights, West Ham are fucking terrible, and yet they're fifth. Newcastle are the worst team in football. They're somehow 15th. Aston Villa scraped their way into staying in the Premier League last season have been awful this year. We spanked them 3-0, ninth, above us. This makes no sense. It's corrupt. It's corrupt Southampton it? should always be in a relegation battle. Malatisha, uh, though, he keeps them up every year, doesn't he? Ken Mankow is uh, very strong at the back. Dave Besson putting in great performances. Hey, Ken Mankow was a, uh, a neighbour of mine about 20 years ago in, in a flat in Leeds. He's a good lad. Yeah, he was nice. Chatted to him in the lift occasionally. Hello, Ken. All right. That was in maybe it's Southampton. Good anecdote. There. Yeah, there it is. Well, I mean, it would be helpful if Southampton would get off 29 points because that's what we've got. And I don't see why we should have to. We've still got to play them, haven't we? Them twice. twice. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's, that game being postponed means it stopped us being above them, which we should be. Do they still play in a kit made by Pony? I could only imagine so, yeah. It's always a pretty good kit with the big tick. West Ham had the same design, didn't they, with the big the Pony logo formed the top of the top part of the shirt. Julian Dix would wear it for them. <laughs> the, uh, that Southampton preview is going to be great. So we get around to it. Getting into the old, getting into the old old man shouts at Cloudy, aren't we? I used to have a, one of my favourite t-shirts. Um, all it was made by Pony, and all it said on it was football. And it kind of had um, in the letters. It had images of players, kind of in the letters. Non-specific footballers. Yeah, it, uh, but it had the Pony Keith logo. Keith Tracy exposing his anus. It had the Pony it, logo just underneath it uh, with the word with the word mark so it said football pony so I was quite enjoyed having <laughs> the, a, the idea of a football pony my football pony t-shirt excellent dog I regret losing it <laughs> great so that's how we're fixing the Premier League is it? yeah yep Southampton dogs and football ponies yeah Southampton get um, their kit made by pony again and I think then everything will go alright with the world and Russell Osman plays for them forever as we're well into the new year, if you're planning to move house, make sure you look up Levite solicitors if you are doing so. You can get 10% off your legal fees, and that includes conveyancing. So have a look on their website where they've got the conveyancing calculator, which will help you weigh up exactly what it's going to cost you in order to move house. And obviously, you need to get your conveyancing done, so why not Levi's, who are a Leeds company and Leeds fans? And secure that 10% discount by going to levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. The end bit. Let's end this podcast with some heroes and villains. First, the Ken Bates Villainy Award. Who's done some bad stuff this week? All oh, them crocked foreigners we've got. What a waste of money. Oh, it's Chelsea Rory again. None of them None yeah. of them are able to stand up to the demands of the Premier League. Are you saying you agree with Chelsea Rory? Foreigners out. Foreigners out. Hard Brexit. Let's re-sign um, Connor Shaughnessy, <laughs> who is Irish. Yeah, just, it's, not, it's, not, it's not good though, is it? All, all this money we've spent on people, it's all gone to waste. You just do, a drain on the NHS. I can tell you are genuinely put out by this. I mean, there's a real tone of sincerity to your voice. Not about the foreigners bit, I mean, just like how annoyed you are that we've spent this money and it's broken. It is annoying, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, if, if Rafinha's all right, he's the, he's the best one, isn't he? <laughs> he is very good. I mean, we don't know if your rent is good or not. No, he's, he's looked fine in the six or seven minutes we've managed to see him. We've never seen the best of cock because he was injured in his first game, wasn't he, and kind of struggled on since then until he was properly hobbled. So we've got no idea if these players are any good. 
the way we finished against Leicester, we didn't need them anyway. What was the point then? Could have taken that hundred million pounds, split it between the fans. Oh, not just give it to us three. You've said that. You've said that on the recording now, though, so everyone knows. Greedy bastard. Can we have a little uh, side eye at William Hill for stealing the phrase Jackie Haradonna, which was conceived by you, Moscow? I, I loathe to give you credit myself, but when it comes to you or William Hill, who are based in Leeds, we should say, and probably have a Leeds fan admin or poster. So hi. Yeah, hi, if you're listening. Nice to, uh, nice to have you. A little on. bit of credit wouldn't go on it. No, it's fine. We've worked, um, worked very hard to make Jackie happen. It's the, um, the fetch of 2020. And uh, Jackie's hype man, aren't you? More successful than ever imagined. I have somebody spotted on them. Um, it was his uh, girlfriend. Is this going to be you talking about how good you are again? Instagram story. No, apparently his, <laughs> his Netflix login name is Jackie, but Jackie with a Y. So he just needs to get the message and start spelling it properly. The way that Jackie Charlton was always an IE Charlton, uh, the Milburn, um, which one of them? I always get a bit confused because Jackie Milburn. Oh, you mean War Jackie? War Jackie played for Newcastle, but Leeds had a Jack Milburn as well, but he was never really as Jackie as the other. Was Jack. he a John Jack or a... Well, I mean, Jackie Charlton was a John Jack and John Charles. Was, Fra- was he a Jackie? John Charles was a John, but Major Frank Buckley, he said, was the only person who ever called him Jack would just do it. And I, I can only assume it was Major Frank Buckley being the kind of guy he was to fuck with him. <laughs> but it's good. What about, um, what about Jack Sheridan? Jackie Chan? John. John, John Chan. He's called John, John Chan, yeah, is he? Yeah, That's yeah, his real name. Yeah. John um, Stallone as well. <laughs> Sylvester's mum. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, who else? The 49ers. Oh. And co. The Enterprises. Why did they announce it after we'd recorded the podcast? Yeah. I mean, Chad Hurley is never off the fucking internet. He could have DM'd us and just, uh, <laughs> hang on a couple of, come couple on the of days. Come on the show, Chad. <laughs> He's constantly tweeting. He was tweeting about buying cardboard off eBay the other day. I think it was a response to the whole GameStop thing that he decided to invest in pieces of cardboard. He thinks it's a safer bet. But yeah, the man loves a tweet. So he needs to probably be careful because previous part owners or employees have also Loved the tweet and it's not worked out so well, but mm. um, there was actually, it was already, there was somebody replying to him saying, you're already getting boring. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club chat. <laughs> as if, as if it's not possible to just unfollow or ignore or just <laughs> scroll past. No, you're already boring. It's been three days of you daring to be enthusiastic about a club that you're putting Thousands, maybe millions of your we are, personal we are, we wealth. Are British, into. We are British and we are entitled to be cynical. Let's, uh, when it comes to Twitter, give a nod in the direction of Frank's media pals who have really gone above and beyond this week to uh, to defend him. They've done a, they're a great bunch of lads, aren't they? All the, the media people. You can imagine them all having the most dreadful drinks together. Oh, they'll, they'll have a WhatsApp group. Genuinely, it probably is a little, they all probably do have a little private message with him. Oh, just say it. Try and try and be nice about me. Everyone's everyone's going on about the results all the time, as if that's the main thing. Statistics. Looking at the statistics again. Trying to manage his narrative as if he's Bet Davis. Are those all the nominees for this week? Anyone else before we award it? It's been a good week for Leeds, really, hasn't it? There's not been too much villainy. Leicester behaved themselves, got out of the way. Brendan Rodgers even praised our integrity, said that we, you know, we don't get in referees' faces or anything like that. Hard to find anybody to be annoyed with. We're giving it to foreigners then. <laughs> when in doubt, <laughs> blame it on the people from abroad. 
I'm not sure Adam Forshaw fits into that, actually. No, that's true. Scouse, though, isn't it? Scouse, not English. That's what they say. Should we? <laughs> uh, is it maybe not the nationality, but the muscle? Because it did all seem to be groins letting everybody down. So perhaps yeah. it's the, the male groin. That's yeah. that's the villain of the week. Feels a bit less racist. <laughs> yep. Uh, let's do the Andy Hughes Hero Award then for this week. Roman Abramovich for looking at those stats, making the right decision. Although he did let it down a bit by... Um, speaking about it it's one of the things about Roman Abramovich I hadn't realised until it's pointed out he never talks about Chelsea and it's kind of the inverse of that guy saying Chad Hurley's already boring at least we do you know we hear from Rad Rizzani and you know he can overdo it a little bit on Twitter if he's feeling tired and emotional but at least we know where to find these people whereas Roman Abramovich apparently has not spoken about anything to do with Chelsea for I think it was 10 years and now Frank Lampard has, has drawn a statement out of him where he has to before people like Rory are at, at the gates of Stamford Bridge with balaclavas demanding that the money be given back to the Russian people yeah so he's uh, he's he did say something so he let himself down a little bit there I think he should have sacked Lampard in silence it would have been great to actually not say anything to not pay tribute to the great work like to try and the full uh, Chilino Steve Evans yeah just like I'm I'm off going to find myself a new manager and Frank's there just disable his key fob <laughs> So we can't get into the training ground anymore. Brilliant. Right, uh, who else? Uh, Victor Orta. Let's give a mention to him, shall we, for his uh, his behaviour once again in the director's box because Rob Tanner, LCFC on Twitter, mentioned uh, around us taking the lead at half past three on the 31st of January 2021. Leeds take the lead 2-1. Bamford with a great finish. Again, Leeds' constant press pays off as Leicester City conceded possession cheaply and were caught out of position. Sounds like they have brought a fan club with them in the director's box too. Actually, we're assuming it's Victor. It will be. It's worth watching the, uh, you know, the replays, the all angle replays of the goal. You know, the tactical camera, which is the one that's kind of pulled right back and you can see almost all the pitch with it. Watch those goals again and keep your eye on the director's box as the second half goals go in. And you do see there's a figure that sort of runs at one point (laughs) just before the, the replay ends. And you say, and it's got to be Victor. I did that once. I can't remember what goal it was in the championship. I'm sure it was the first season. I mapped his run, presumed, like tried to work out where he had been and where he'd gone to. And it's the one where he ends up, Angus Kinnear kind of catches him at the end and he's staring <laughs> around wild-eyed as they're trying to prop him up because he'd, he'd done a full lap of the director's box. Because <laughs> that was it, because the, the, the footage that catches him, you see him just appearing out of shots back to his seat. So I was trying to work out where he'd been. And with there being no fans in the stadium to kind of impede his progress, I wonder if it's a, a full lap of the stadium can't be far behind it was going bonkers apparently when he was uh, cheering Rafinha off um, not to mention uh, well he shouldn't have been shouldn't he encouraging a groin injury like that he other, should have been shaming him other fun stuff at, uh, at Filbert Street or whatever it's called the Chris Bowl Filbert uh, Way Filbert Way yeah that's, that's what they call it was Matthias Click who shithoused um, what's his face the fat kid in Nets what's his name <laughs> Shit Schmeichel that's the one and he carried on his run. I can't remember which goal it was, but he carried on his run. I think into it was the, Bamford's one. Into the goal mouth and just accidentally tripped over him, which I just thought it was just a nice little bit of low-level needle, which is Matthias Click's speciality. Bamford himself, we need to mention, because he continues to make us look stupid, doesn't he? He does. He does. He's, every time we think he's his time is up, whether it's at the club, on the pitch, whatever, he just does something good. I, I feel like he's got to be a front-runner for this one this week, but let's go through the other candidates. Who else? Ailing and Dallas just for being always good. Strange how they always sort of come together. They, they seem to be a pair like Pepsi and Shirley that you can't have one 
without the other. It's always Ailing and Dallas every time. It's oh, Ailing and Dallas played well. Ailing and Dallas did this. Ailing, Ailing and Dallas did that. Should they do some songs like Mel and Kim or um, Bottle and Hoddle? Yeah, maybe the Bottle. If they, I mean, they've got. Uh, I'd love to see Dallas with the kind of uh, a mid nineteen eighties Chris Waddle feather mullet. And, and all you need to do is get Luke Ayling letting that hair down on yeah, top of the pops and the, crowd, the crowd's going to go wild, isn't it? Yeah. But they are very good and um, it's amusing me that they always, they're just Ayling and Dallas. Well, they are sort of same age, probably, if they don't, don't live in if they don't live in the same house, they're next door to each other. Weren't they talking about they're all going to live on a, a cul-de-sac or did we make that up at one point on the podcast? We Did we imagine it or was it happening? I th- think it was mentioned. Yeah, that they've all kind of got the Let's same... Let's assume they do. Street. Because it's it's a nice romantic idea, isn't it? And we were talking earlier about the idea of romance. And uh, they won't be leaving it because Ailing has, I'm sure it's Ailing has said that he's, he's going to live in Yorkshire forever now. We've had that effect on him. He's got nowhere else he wants to go. So Harrogate Town is, will have a player when he's 40. Is the correct answer. Mm-hmm. So good boy. Melier and Strike, who wants to um, nominate them? Well, just because this time last year they're not, they're not really played, had they? I think J. Roy Grott had probably clocked up more minutes for Leeds than the pair of them. And there they were just beating a top four side away from home and looking completely at home with it. Mm. We can we take for granted how good Meslier is, I think, because he's he's not made many mistakes and we just get through game after game now without any dramas. And that you forget that that was an option for Leeds goalkeepers, don't you? Because it was just... The, I think the most Kiko ever managed was he'd, get, he'd do like seven or eight games and then something bad, one way or another, would would occur. And you just had to talk about it. It's nice that we just go, yep, he's in net. There's the occasional dis- occasional distribution error where you kind of suck air in through your teeth. But other than that, he's been really good, hasn't he? Even, and he's a child. Even going back to Rob Green, he started his career at Leeds by throwing the ball in his net at QPR. He put it at so-and-so's feet, didn't he? And then I never quite got over that. So even when he was brilliant towards the end of the season, it was probably our best player in the run-in under Monk. Every time there was a shot at him, I flinched. Just because I I thought it was going to go wrong, whereas Melier, it's just it's standard every match, three or four good saves, and maybe one every couple of games where you just think that's exceptional. And Stroik at centre half showed he's a very good centre half, and he shouldn't be judged by his ability to be Calvin Phillips or not. I think he can play in any Premier League team. I think he should be judged position. on his ability to not be Kiko Casilla. That's one thing. Pascal Stroik. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody in Which, general. I'm talking about Melier. I'm just thinking about him. Yeah, he's he's in the international system, and not, um, not quite. There's well, some no, talk of him. Melier is in the unders. Yeah, he? yeah. But I mean, Strike has been touted today actually about getting called up. There's going to be some sort of turf war between Belgium and the Netherlands about who he's going to play for. Or Indonesia, maybe because he qualifies for all three. Yeah, the Belgium have a gap. They seem to be the ones who've been talking about it. Have a look at who plays uh, centre back for Belgium. They got. Alderweireld and Vertonghen, but they're all quite old and the only players without loads of caps, they've got a 25-year-old Dendonka off of Wolverhampton. He's got one of those wonderful names. And then somebody called Michelli from Club Rouge and then Delcroix. The Cross? Yes, in uh, Del Cross. Um, <laughs> is uh, Del Cross. 21-year-old from Anderlecht. So they've got a big gap. They've got for- Lawrence de Box still. Ah, he's not a centre half though, is he? But he can yeah, play there. These he's, are he's, all, so, he's so versatile. I'm these sure. are all defenders, but they've got a big gap for a, a defender who is under the age of twenty-five. So it's there for Stroik if he wants it. It is there for Stroik if he wants it. So I look forward to him making his debut for the Netherlands rather than Belgium. <laughs> you don't turn down the. I'm trying to remember which country is the Walloon. It's Belgium, I think, and I only like it because it's such a great 
thing. Yeah, I be. believe you're right. Yeah, it's not worth getting caught up on Moscow. The, uh, really, the people who speak a French dialect and live in southeastern Belgium. There you go. Oh, and the Flemish as well. Everyone in Belgium has got like a really cool name. Hero of the week, the Andy Hughes hero of the week. I want to give it to Bamford. Yeah, let Bamford have it. Two assists and a great goal. Can't argue with that, can you? And even more egg heaped upon, heaped upon our, uh, no, our stupid face. No, we were we correct. Were, we were correct. The aspects of his game that we were criticising, uh, that was backed up by the statistics. And just, Roman Abramovich would tell you, yes, statistics are everything. And we just happened to ignore, by accident, all the great stuff that he did. And that wraps up this week's episode. Check out TSB Plus, our subscription package at thesquareball.net forward slash plus. We'll see you next week. The Square Ball Podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.